0: Always like to have a look. I love Morayfield. I do love Morayfield. There is a good presence of God, a good spirit here. I hear good stories all the time. I, I, this is a very unique day for us because, to be honest, I'm actually, I think it's the first Sunday that I've actually been here with Nina. So, for those of you who didn't know, I had a wife. Can you please stand up? This is Nina, everyone. <laughs> so I know that she's preached here many times and she's done a whole lot of different things. But uh, uh, to be here together, it's great. And uh, that's one of the things that we've been able to do just of late. We've actually be together in church and we're pretty happy about that. And uh, so it's just good to be here this morning. I'm going to preach a message that if you really want to kind of understand me a little bit, Then listen to this message and you'll understand me. There's a whole lot of value that I place in the things I'm going to be speaking about today because I believe it's how Christians should be and how Christians should act. And so uh, there's a lot of scripture we're going to go through today, but I believe that God wants to say something. So before I pray, I do want to actually kind of commend the men's conference next uh, Saturday. It's going to be fantastic. If you're a guy here, we would love you to be here. The women are going to get together in uh, June, but we got our men's conference just next weekend. It's just 50 bucks. You know, if the 50 bucks is the reason you can't be there, please, you know, just come anyway. We'll sort something out, all right? We'll sort something out. We want you to be there. There's something good when guys get together. Now, we're not going to tell you, you need to be doing this more, I need to be doing that more. We're just going to encourage you. It's going to be a good time, get together, lots of fun. Ben Tifey is a phenomenal preacher, a great man of God, and uh, he's going to talk to us about camel hunting, I guess, because that's what he loves to do. So uh, it's not going to be my favourite part. Now, What have I done? All right, so let me pray. Father, I just ask that you would take what I'm about to say, and make it real, oh God. Father, I know that I want to say something, oh God, but I pray that you would say something. Father, there's something that you put in my spirit, but I pray that that Lord that you would take it and make it real, make it life, and let it help people, oh God. Father, let it bring challenge and change. And even at the end, let's see people converted to Jesus. Because of this message, we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Everyone say the word triggered. I want to show you a picture of someone who's triggered. <laughs> All right. Let me read a proverb to and let's People with good sense restrain their anger. They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. What an interesting proverb. If you think about it, it's actually a picture. A picture of two roads that you can take, of a choice we get to make. See, in life, you're going to get triggered. Something is going to trigger you. You know, someone will trigger you. You'll feel emotion rising. You'll feel your blood pumping. And you'll feel the need to be right or to be justified in a particular situation. There are two roads before you. And, and, and you can either get angry or you can overlook This proverb makes it your responsibility as how to react to being triggered. This proverb shows us the road to take and what is the right road to take when you get triggered. It basically explains that anger will take from you, but overlooking will add to you. So let me show you a little bit of a skit. Nina, I am sick to death of your attitude. Right? I come home and you're just so busy cooking a meal that you won't even talk. Sit down. That's what I'm always talking about. You don't listen. You might hear me but you don't listen. I'm just sick to death of it. Why don't you just pay me some attention? So happy to talk to everyone else you don't even want to talk to me. I'm just sick of it. Why do you always act like that? It's not like I've never said anything but you still do it. You won't listen. I'm just sick to death of it. Now, No one here feels uplifted. No one feels like, wow, I'm glad I came to church today. Church was so amazing. You see, anger is bad. And it always brings a negative reaction. See, the majority of you hopefully would feel great disdain for me in doing something like that. Right, and you would definitely feel sorry for Nina. I hope that you do, because if I actually did act like that, she deserves to be sorry. Yeah, the good on you, Janet. Right, very good. Even if there was some like silly reason that you agreed with me, you would actually go, Well, the way that you did it was wrong, and the setting was certainly wrong. See, the majority of the worst times of my life have actually happened because of an uncontrolled outburst of anger that I had. Where I was trying to dominate someone, where I didn't get the response that I expected, where I was needing to be right, or I got so frustrated I didn't care or want to show self-control. See, when a person gets angry, it always results negatively in their relationships. The words that are said, the tones that are used, the facial expressions or even worse still, the physical posturing makes someone feel very uncomfortable. Sometimes someone may fight back and then the situation just degenerates. But all the time, you lose someone's trust and you lose someone's respect. Even this morning, I guarantee you, there are people here, and even though you knew it was a skit, even though you knew it was a, a bit of play acting, all of a sudden your senses would have risen. All of a sudden you would have got this great sense of uncomfortability because of your past, because of the way that anger has been used in your past. And and so therefore there's an elevation in your spirit and a sense of being unsafe just for the fact of the raised voice. Right? Anger doesn't do anything good for you. Anger, whether you're right or wrong, always leaves you empty. And that's why the Bible says people of good sense restrain their anger. Sometimes we may be right, but that doesn't excuse your anger. You know, some people may be saying, well, I can't restrain. I just get angry. It just happens. I, I'm just a hot-blooded person. I, I just react quickly. I, I just..." But I do want to say this to you, and I want you to listen carefully. When you get angry... It's you getting angry, right? And so what it is, even if it took you a millisecond, you still decided to get angry. You may say, well, Jesus got angry. Look at him when he went in that temple and he just turned over all those tables. He was angry as anything. But it was not an uncontrolled thing of anger. He didn't just walk in there, see these things, and just start turfing over tables. The Bible clearly says that he goes away He makes a whip of cords and then comes back and then does it. It was a considered response to what was going on. He needed to be demonstrative in what it was that he was saying. It was not just an uncontrolled outburst of anger where he's just trying to exhort his dominance over people. So can we agree this morning that anger is bad? Yes? Or at least, if if you don't want to say anger is bad at least agree, as the Scripture says, I think the screen's not working there, is it? There it is. People with good sense restrain their anger. Right? So let's just park it there. That's all I really want to say about anger because, to be honest, I don't want to speak about anger, but I can't speak about what I want to speak about if I don't actually address the anger at the start of the Scripture. It's the second half of the verse this morning that I want to concentrate on. And it's they earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. Unfortunately, humans love to find out the kind of negatives of someone else. Human nature loves to gossip. We love to hear the latest gossip. You know, uh, Current Affair or or some news programs, uh, uh, what's it, This Day Tonight or all the different things, 60 Minutes, they're full of stories of where we caught someone. Who was doing wrong? You know they'll even chase you down the street, right? To to get you. And I've always thought to myself, what would I do? And I'm sitting there, and suddenly Channel Seven are chasing after me. You know, would I get mad? Would I? You know, just would I run away? And I thought, I've got it. I know what I would do. I would sit. There, I'd stop, and I'd let them listen to whatever thing they're accusing me of, and then I'd just make it really, really bad TV, and I'd just go. Um, um, and then they're not going to show any of that, right? It's just bad TV. They're not interested in the story. They're interested in just making some kind of thing happen. I listen to a lot of news programs on radio and many political programs, they're all designed to trick someone into you know make it look like they did something bad political parties on both sides make an art form of pointing out what it is the other side is doing wrong instead of just telling us well what are you doing right right let us hear that all right if a sportsman gets into trouble it's all over the news it's just literally all over the news I just they just want to can't wait to just tell everyone see the media sets itself up as having the moral high ground, but then go about holding people who are in the limelight to an impossible standard. But it happens in families. You know, when all my kids are at home, let me tell you, Tori couldn't wait to tell me what Rachel had done to her. Right? You know, Rachel couldn't wait to tell me what Jack had called her. Right? And Jack, let me tell you, even now, he's only too willing to tell me the things I'm doing wrong. Right? So... Uh, you know, <laughs> the only person no one ever spoke about was Nina because she's actually perfect. <laughs> all right, so even in church, we love to hear the latest gossip. So easy to believe all that we're told about another. Do you hear about the latest preacher to fall? Do you know what Sylvia did last night? What about Reuben? Oh, oh my goodness. He did what to who? All right, if I told you a rumour about Pastor Nicky, Tomorrow I'd be all over the place. Have you heard about Pastor Nikki? <gasps> oh, let me tell you. See, we're all no different. It's in the human psyche. It's like we've got to know. But it's not wise and it's not right. It's not what the Bible tells us. See, so the Bible tells us that we need to overlook the faults of others, not note them. People who overlook faults will find esteem. They will have honour. They will be trusted. They will be respected. Isn't it amazing that as you take the one road of anger, you actually push people away. But as you take the road of overlooking, you actually attract people to you. Mm -hmm. It's how it works. See, God understands this as well. Romans 2 verse 4 says, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not God's anger. It's not God's judgment. It's not God's Protestations that lead someone to Him. It's God's kindness. God loves me. That's why I'm drawn to Him. That's why I find Him in high, high esteem. Good. Let's read it together. Let's read this verse together. Proverbs. Let's read together, 1911. People with good sense restrain their anger. They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. Now, the word overlooking in this scripture is the Hebrew word abar. And it means to pass by. It means to walk past. It doesn't mean you don't see it. It doesn't mean you don't notice it. It doesn't mean you don't take note of it. But after seeing it, noticing it, taking note of it, you walk past it. It's not making out. It's not there. It's saying, no, I'm going to love this person regardless. I'm going to walk past it. See, it doesn't mean you don't choose. You walk past it. You go on from it. You decide not to judge the person by their faults, but by who they are. It doesn't mean that you forget. It doesn't mean that you allow yourself to become a victim again. But it does mean that you don't allow what happened to stick to you so that you end up being identified by that. I want to tell you, you think of King David and King Saul. Saul was the leader. He was the king. David was an up-and-coming guy. And King Saul was jealous of him and does all bad things around him and even tries to kill him. David sees what's going on, so he goes away. He goes into the wilderness, runs away from that situation. But you'll never find one scripture where David speaks bad about Saul. You won't find it. Right? And he trusts himself, tries to prove to Saul again and again, I'm not out to harm you. I'm not out to hurt you. He'd been hurt. He would had been unjustly treated. It was wrong what had happened to him. But he decides, I'm not going to tell everyone, I know what's going on, but I'm going to walk past it. So I'm with someone, I don't need to tell them all the things that someone else did. He didn't need to go and make, I'm right, look what he did to me. I'm the right one he's the bad one. No, he decides not to do that. He walks past it. So sometimes it's better than telling every Tom, Dick and Harry about all the things that offended you and were wrong and how you've been unjustly treated. Why don't you keep your opinion to yourself? Because it doesn't help the person that you're telling. Now the word fault here doesn't mean like a fault like having bad breath or getting drunk one night. But it's the Hebrew word for when someone has wronged you. It's personal. It's got to you. It's actually in your spirit. And that's the crux of what I want to believe the Holy Spirit is saying in your heart today. Can you or will you allow yourself to be wronged? In this society where we demand our rights, where the individual is king, can we overlook someone who has wronged us? It's a very, very challenging scripture and a very, very challenging thought in today's society. No, no I, I gotta stand up for my rights. No, I'm right. They've gotta know what they've done to me. I'm not, gonna be, I'm not gonna appear weak. Oh no, I gotta be strong. Well, let's have a look at what the Bible says. We're gonna read a lot of Bible this morning. 1 Peter 2, verse 19. For it is commendable. If a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, this is great words, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus understand that it was God who was in control of his life. Not a man, not a woman, not a circumstance. And so if I'm treated unjustly, God who is just is able to turn that around and it'll work out for me anyway. Right? So I'm going to trust God rather than trust the circumstance or see what I think that I'm seeing. You know, Jesus again and again overlooks. You think about it. Many times he could have stood up for his rights. Jesus, you've got to pay temple tax. Well, why would I pay temple tax? I'm greater than the temple. But he goes, no, nevertheless I offend them and sends Peter to catch a fish and he pays his tax. Jesus, you should get baptised. Why should I get baptised? I'm God himself. Right? But because it was the right thing to do. The Bible says for righteousness sake. Right? What does he do? He allows himself to be baptised by John. Right? He allowed himself not to demand his rights, but to do what was right. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, says this, very challenging scripture. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 7, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you, talking to the church, people in the church suing each other, getting all upset, means you have been completely defeated already. And then look what I've underlined there. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Paul has an amazing attitude to people doing wrong. I actually think they're some of the most convicting words in the Bible. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? It almost sounds wrong, doesn't it? When I say that, allow yourself to be wrong. Allow someone to cheat you. Oh, Pastor Mark. (laughs) Pastor Mark. It's a pretty amazing, mature Christian philosophy. It's amazing, fantastic. Paul knew a thing or two about overlooking. See, one of the things I dislike is when someone is only too happy to pull down a leader, especially if that leader has done something wrong. There are whole Instagram pages devoted to pulling down Christian leaders and pointing out their mistakes and flaws. And yes, unfortunately, not all our leaders or the people we look up to in church have acted excellently. Some have acted downright terribly. But do we have to go about and muddy someone else's water? And the answer is no. See, when you see someone on video, when you see someone preach here, when you see someone there, you fall in love with their gift. That's what attracts you. You'll fall in love with their anointing, what what God has gifted them with. They are a man, a woman of God. We fall in love with the of God. We're attracted to the of God. It's the of God, the anointing, the, the, the supernatural part of what it is. But they are always man of, woman of. And the longer you're with someone, you realise, yes, there's gifting, there's anointing, there's what it is, but they're also man of. They're also woman of. Right? Look what Paul's attitude was to people who were idiots. Right? Shouldn't know better. Look what he has to say. Philippians 1 verse 15. Talking about other men of God. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. Now, we could think, you know, 2,000 years on, You know, you can get all sorts of human things. This isn't that far after Jesus is gone, right? They're already kind of like preaching in the wrong ways. But others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful. But that doesn't matter whatever their motives whether their motives are false or genuine the message about christ is being preached either way so i rejoice and i will continue to rejoice what an amazing attitude yeah. Here's men of god who are doing foolish things and paul's understanding is like i'm going to rejoice in what god can do See, it's not me that tries to convince you. It's the Holy Spirit that takes what I say and does something in your life. What I do, is nice, but it's gone by three o'clock this afternoon. What the Holy Spirit does through my preaching stays with you in my life, changes you. It's what God wants. That's why I pray. I hope you like my preaching, but in the end, I want God to actually do something out of my preaching. It's what God can use my preaching To do. Romans 12, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, In his mind to avenge, I will repay. And then it tells us what to do. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. We've got to do something. The key to overlooking is walking past. The the key to walking past is to love your enemies and to do something for them. See, they're radical words to those people. See, right now, right, if, uh, you know, Jeremy punches me in the face, which he wouldn't do because he's Jeremy. (laughs) I can go to the police and I go, this man, he assaulted me. And the police will come and interview him and they'll drag him off to jail. And you should too, right? But uh, in those days, there's not a police force. There's this ruling army. There's no someone that you can go to. So what would happen is that, like, I go, you know what? Jeremy, you punched me in the nose. What i am going to do? Easy target, by the way, right? But uh, um, <laughs> right? I'm going to get my brother and we're going to come and get you. And you're going to, well, I'm going to get my brother and we're going to get the both of you. And well, I'm going to get my brother and my dad, right? And then you're going to, well, i going to get my brother and my two brothers and his uncle, right? And we all, and, and, and that's what happens. And all of a sudden you've got a war going on. Jesus is saying, no, no, that's not how we do this. Don't take revenge. Let God sort it out. Let God sort it out. No, go and feed your enemy. Go and seek conciliation. Jeremy, I must have really offended you. I'm so sorry that you need to punch me in the nose. Right? Here, let me do something for you. It's conciliation. See, to make conciliation, I've got to overlook his fault. To go to him, I've got to overlook his fault. If someone has offended you, what does the Bible say? You go to him. And if you go and you sort out, you've added yourself a brother. Right? So so it's very interesting. It's like I, I overlook the fault because I'm... Seeking reconciliation. I'm seeking to be together. Here, Jeremy, he's a peace offering. You understand? Now, I've had to... But he's the one who wronged me. He's the one who punched me. He's the one who's done wrong. No, I go to him because I'm seeking conciliation. The great love chapter in Corinthians tells us that love does not hold a record of wrongs. Now, it's even more... Stark when it comes to Christian brothers and sisters, it comes to the church. 1 Peter 4, verse 8, most important of all, in some versions, it will say, above all else, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Right? I'm going to cover that sin with love and I'm going to be drawn towards you. See how it works? I want to say, I love Nina. I think all of you who know us know we love each other. Now, you can come and tell me that Nina said something, Nina did something, Nina was terrible in some sort of action that she did, and I may even agree with you, I highly doubt it, right? But I may agree with you, right? But it doesn't mean, oh, well, that's it, I'm not loving her anymore. I'm going over here now. You understand? My love for her overlooks her fault. And let me give you a marriage tip right now. Never criticize your in-laws, right? Just don't do it because I don't care if you're right. I don't care if they're the biggest cads in the world, right? It doesn't matter because in the end, your spouse loves them, right? Your spouse loves them. So every time you criticize, you're actually a little punch in the guts to them. They don't like it. It's not good. Don't do it. Let me look at some scriptures. 1 John 1 verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. 1 John 3 verse 14. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Now, this is a very interesting scripture. Because yeah. people are always really happy to tell you if someone's a Christian or not. Well he did this and she does that. So I don't think they're a Christian. They act like this, they act like that. You know, they did this and he was still doing that and she was still doing and we, we kind of work out if they're Christians by their works. But this is what it says. We will know whether they're a Christian or not, whether you've passed out of death into life, because you love the brothers. That's the test. Were they a Christian? did they love the brothers? Right? See, when you're a follower of Christ who loves everyone, even the biggest cads that you don't like so much, he loves them. Yeah. He's going to be talking to you about loving them. That's who he is. Yeah. 1 John 4 verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. If he does not love his brother... For, I messed this up before too in love. for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him: whoever loves God must also love his brother. And then the ultimate scripture, if all of those, right? By the way, if anyone ever asks you to name four books of the Bible, just say John, because there's four of them. All right, so let's help you there. All right, John 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for one another... Our acceptance of one another, our forgiveness of one another, our ability to overlook the faults of one another are our greatest evangelism tool that we have. It's not a message I preach. It's not a message Pastor Joe preaches. That's a method. But the greatest message of evangelism we have is that we love one another. So when someone comes in here, they go, oh, This is different to my workplace. This is different to my family. This is different to the street. This is different to my football club because people love each other. We're not using one another to get to where we want to go. No, we genuinely love one another and we overlook faults. To overlook faults makes us like God. God is the ultimate fault overlooker. I made up a word there. But it's a great word. It should be in the dictionary, right? God is the ultimate overlooker. Abraham was a liar and God still used him. David was an adulterer. God still loved him. Noah was a drunken. God still uses him. Rahab was a prostitute. God still loves her. Jacob was a schemer manipulator. God still uses him. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. Jesus still loved her. Paul put Christians to death. God still used him. Peter denied Christ three times. God still loved him. Mark Elbendorp has sinned and lied and manipulated, got angry, reacted wrongly in several million other things, and God still uses him and loves him. God, who is love, is the greatest overlooker in the universe. And what's my response? I esteem him greatly. Yes. Look at our key verse again. People filled with good sense restrain their anger. They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. God has every right to be angry with me, but he overlooks my wrongdoings. And my response is God, I love you. Thank you. I esteem you greatly. want to read an Old Testament story. I think it shows us a little bit. It's from Genesis 9, just five verses. It's about Noah. So after the flood, Noah's set up land now. Noah began to be a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. That was very shameful back then. And Ham who's one of Noah's sons, and then the Bible takes time to mention the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth, so Noah has three sons, Ham, Shem and Japheth. Ham sees his father, Ham's the father of Canaan, Sam sees his father Noah naked, goes out and tells his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth, took a garment, laid it on their shoulders and walked backwards, covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. So what they've done is they've go in and they put the garment over their dad and they make sure at no time are they looking at him because they don't want to bring shame. They don't want to look at his shame. They don't want to look at his nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine. And knew what his younger son had done to him. He said, "Cursed be not Ham, cursed be Canaan." What happens is this: if you're in your family and you're always talking bad about people and you're always judging people and you've always got an opinion about this guy and about this girl and what she did and what they did and how they could have done it better, right? What it does is it curses your kids. Because they learn to hold a grudge. They learn it's not right not to forgive. They learn to make judgments out of anyone and everything. You hurt their future. Wow. Canaan, the son of Ham, was cursed because his dad went and told everyone his failings. That's what he did. He could have covered it himself the way that Japheth and Shem did. They could have it like this. But no, he went and told people. He went and told people. See, not a person in this room wouldn't cringe and run away if a video was replayed, right, in this service right now of all the shameful things. Imagine all the shameful things, right, that I've done on this screen. I would beat Usain Bolt out of here. (laughs) You you understand? But all of us are the same, right? All of us. If the shameful things of our life were put on there, we would all run away. Yet God, who knows all of our dirty laundry, He overlooks, covers and chooses not to see it all. He puts our sin behind His back as far as the east is from the west. He puts it in the sea of forgetfulness and He says no fishing allowed. Yeah. Right? He decides to walk past... God knows every one of our faults. But he decides to walk past, to overlook. That's the heart of our God. Isn't the wonderful, marvellous, all-encompassing grace of God awesome? I want the musicians to come. You know, one of the requirements that Paul gives to Timothy when it comes to picking a pastor for a church, picking a, a leader in the house of God is this. Says he must not be given to violence. Now, we all think that's pretty obvious, right? If Pastor Joe was just going around punching people in the face and in the nose and, and doing all these things, we would probably have an issue. More food wouldn't be growing like it is, right? Trust me, right? So, uh, right, he's not a man given to violence, but it's not actually talking about physical violence. I think that's just a given. We understand that. In the original meaning, it means someone who's contentious. Someone who always has to argue. When you say, it's up, now it's down. It's black, like, no, it's white. It's in, no, it's out. Right? Like, you, you know, like they're always having to be right. They're always needing to contend. They always need to be able to tell you their opinion. They always need to be able to, to say what it is they have to say. They don't have a measure of self-control. And one of the reasons that that never works for leadership is that leadership is about drawing people in. If I'm angry all the time, I'm going to do what I do is I put a line and I go, you're in, you're out. That's what happens and that's terrible leadership. In the kingdom of God, everyone can be in as they trust their lives to Jesus. Remember, it's the goodness, the kindness of God that draws someone to repentance. So God's saying, hey, come, come as you are. I know you've got this fault. I know you've got that fault. I know you've done this. I know you've done that. But come as you are. See, a leader that's contentious, well, you did this, sorry, you're out. Or You're in last week because you were good, but this week you're out. Right? That's what the world does. When I reach His requirements and I, and I do what it says, then all of a sudden I'm in. But with God, I'm in regardless as I trust my life to Him, as I give my life to Him. I trust my life to him. Then I'm, I stay in. It's not regard, See, you think about it. The Bible says, if I want to restore someone who's been caught in a sin, right? So there's someone who's done something bad's come out, we address it, we deal with it. We want someone to be better. We want to help them. The word is restore. This actually gives a picture in the original language of putting a ha- an arm in a cast. So if you break your arm and you go, I don't care, I'll be right, I'll just move my arm as much as I want, you're not helping it. You put it in a cast and all of a sudden you keep it still for a time and healing can come. And where that break was is actually stronger than what it was before. What happens is when we want to restore someone, we may sometimes put a bit of a restriction on them, but the restriction isn't punishment. The restriction isn't to say you're bad. The restriction is to allow them to come to a place where there's healing. But it says, do it with a spirit of meekness. Not this prayer, I'm the pastor. I'm so holy. I'm so good. You know, I would never do what you did, right? And because you did what you did, I'm now going to punish you and banish you. Do you understand? See, what does that do? That pushes him away. But when I say, hey, had a bit of a thing, let's walk together. You know, it might be at times a bit of a restriction, but we're going to make you stronger. You know, a, a lack of discipline got you into a place. We're going to put some discipline there so that you won't fall in that way again. See the, the attitude? It's not, I'm better than you. I'm now going to just punish you and tell you off. No, it's come with us. Let's together. You know, this thing happened. Let's, let's sort it out. See, the church as a whole is considered by many in society to be angry with them. You do this, you do that, you're sinful, you're that, you're all of these different things. But Jesus, he didn't speak a whole lot of times about homosexuality, about abortion, about sexual things. He didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about all that. He didn't talk about slavery because he's too busy talking about the things of the kingdom. He's tried to talk about what God has done, and who God was. Right? Because he overlooks. He's saying, come. Let's, as a church, love people. When someone comes into here, they're not always going to be your cup of tea. They'll always be someone that you may like to hang around or you like to have some time with, but love them. Someone is going to hurt you. Someone is going to do something unjust. Sometimes it might be a leader. Sometimes it's someone who's brand new. There is going to come times where, where we mess up with each other. But let's overlook. Let's overlook. Sometimes we just got to live in someone's shoes for a time. You know, we can get so mad about some of the situations that we read about now. How can this happen? How can these kids do that? But their lives are different. You know, Jack grew up in a house. First of all, love the Lord. Nina and I love each other. We love Jack. We've tried to provide and, you know, we're not the richest people in town, but we're not the poorest people either. So we've been able to provide for him schooling. We've been able to provide for him clothing. We've been giving him stability. We've given Jack so much. Is it any wonder that Jack's going to do okay compared to a kid who's brought up by a mum who didn't want him? where there's been addiction, where there's been violence, where there's been alcohol and drug abuse, where they've been kicked from pillar to post, where there's been all sorts of violence, where they haven't been fed properly and so their brain development hasn't been there. They got no idea and exposed to all this rubbish before they're even five years old. And then we're going to judge this kid because he makes some poor choices when he's 13 and 15 and 18. No! No! Let's walk a moment in their shoes and have some love and care and try and draw them in. Yes, there's consequence for actions. There always will be. But let's have a hard attitude of not just kind of glibly painting everything and understand that people are people because of what they've done. And sometimes I think if I had gone through what that young man or that young woman went through, I'd probably be making some of the same decisions. It's about compassion. It's about having a heart. It's about having something that says, I want to draw you in and I want to love you. Let the love of God in you draw them to repentance before God. So I'd say this very clearly. If you hate or, bro- or you hate a brother and sister in this place, someone or another of, of the body, give it up now. Stop it now. Forgive them now. Now, love them and pray for them. Don't rejoice in your uh, if it goes bad for your enemy. Jesus said, pray for your enemy. Pray for your enemy. And this is what happens. When you start praying, you don't mean it. Right? That's the truth. You pray, you don't mean it. You don't want anything good to happen for them. You, you don't, But you don't pray, God, let them have a car accident either. Right? You pray something good. You pray, God, I, I, I bless that person. And you don't feel it. God, I I pray for that person. Let your heart be for them. And then all of a sudden you feel a little bit more. God, I, I just pray for their health. I, I pray for their family. I, I pray for their fire. And all of a sudden you find that you actually mean it. And that thing happens that where it's like a drain plug is just pulled out of your spirit. And then this freedom comes to you. I don't mind, I don't care. And I know some of they could be terrible things. I would agree with you that what they did was wrong. But I don't agree with you that you can still hate them. You've got to love them. You've got to overlook their faults. And then you'll find high esteem. Forgive your trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. It's a daily thing we've got to do. So guard your heart. Guard your heart so that you can say, I overlook. You're going to have offenses. Things are going to happen. There's no one here where where something bad can happen and you don't have at least some measure of, right? We all have that. But is it going to stick? Is it going to stay? Are you going to choose to restrain your anger? Are you going to choose to overlook their faults? That's what God would have you to do. I want to have your eye closed. Father, I pray for people right now. I pray that love would be in this place. One of the things I love about Morefield, Lord, is the fact that I do see people in every part of society here, oh God. Father, it doesn't seem to be like a class structure here, oh God. Father, it's just, you come to church, we love you. And Father, I pray, foster that. Foster that, oh God, so that people that come from any sector of society, from any place, oh God, Father, would feel like they belong here, oh Lord. They're accepted, they're loved. Father, they're going to come with their faults, they're going to come with their issues. They're going to come in their all different ways. But Father, we're just going to receive them We're going to love them, O God. We're going to teach them and disciple them, O God. We're going to restore them, O God. We're going to see them become the men and the women, O God, that you have designed for them to be, O Lord. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, let a heart of love, an atmosphere of love, of overlooking, O God. Father, where we've been judgmental, Father, where we've just glibly said things, oh God. Father, give us a heart. Give us a compassion. Let us see people with the eyes that you see people, oh God. Let us have a heart of love. And Father, let it just be so attractive that that hundreds of people are just drawn in. Because it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Let the kindness of God be seen and felt in this place. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You've yet to understand God's kindness. And so I want to just invite you this morning to give your life to Christ, to step into His love, to step into His kindness. You've done all sorts of things. There might be all sorts of things. God can't accept me because God, I did this bad. God overlooks. God has you covered in the sacrifice of his son. His son paid the price for your wrongdoing.